we will never track how many kids, you know, go through primer and got into Harvard. I, I don't care about that. If kids want to get into Harvard or if it's the best thing for them, we're going to help them get into Harvard. But that's not success to me. Um, and so, you know, what I think about is a lot more of on an individual level of what are, what is each kid's potential and how can primer architect, you know, sort of create the scaffolding for them to have an education experience that gives them the best shot of reaching that. That's Ryan Delk, the founder and CEO of Primer. And if you're curious um, what the future of education is, you'll want to listen to this episode because they're building something that is embracing this movement of homeschool, of um, taking your child's education into your own control and tailoring it to their unique strengths and passions. And it's really exciting to see what's happening in the world of, of education. And we really go into depth on what uh, shifts that they see and what Primer is doing to address those. So let's jump into the interview with Ryan. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Ryan Delk, who is a I, I don't know how to describe you. You're kind of like, you, you've done a lot of things. You're a polymath is kind of the word that comes to mind, but you're you're kind of a serial startup guy that's had a lot of success in starting a bunch of different things, growing a couple of different things all in the tech space. You know, you were with at Gumroad, you were with at Square, you were, you advise like companies like ConvertKit. I know you were at Omni, you were the COO there for a little while. So um, that that's my intro for you, Ryan. So welcome. Thanks for yeah. being on the show. No, thanks for having me, Mike. <laughs> Uh, but most importantly, the reason I want to have you on, um, besides the fact that you're a father, is that now you're running a company called Primer, which is a, as far as I know, and I know you'll do this better, but um, is a resource and a community and a um, just a rethink of how to do education um, from grade zero to, I think, 12. And so um, that is something I think that's so interesting. And so I'm excited to to dive into that. And um yeah, so I, I just want to say, you know, thanks for being on and um, excited to interview you. No, I'm excited for this. I always enjoy our conversations, so this will be fun. Yeah, so um, so Primer, obviously right now, is, is we're in the midst, in the thick of the COVID-19 crisis pandemic um, that's rocked um, a lot of things. But most importantly, what we're, we're right now, we're, why, this podcast is, is being recorded in July of 2020, and we're, everyone is right now just in a state of panic around what is going to happen with schools. And so that's where I know Primer is is gearing up to answer that question. But before we get into that and what Primer yeah. is, I, I'd like to hear a little bit of your story uh, or maybe maybe if you want to give the pitch of what Primer is and then kind of walk back. Because I know when we spoke before, you you told me about your history with like homeschooling and yeah. and even just all of that. So, 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 yeah. so, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's, let's start at the beginning. So um, I was homeschooled from kindergarten through eighth grade. And a, a pretty funny story is when I was really young, we moved from Atlanta where my mom was a public school teacher to Florida. And my mom, when she was getting her teaching degree, she actually wrote one of her like capstone papers on why homeschooling should be illegal and why it was like the worst form of education. And um, she ended up, we moved to Florida and uh, she took me to a kindergarten orientation in Florida. And in the late 80s and early 90s, like, uh, uh, Florida public schools were not very good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she took me to kindergarten orientation and she was a teacher and she'd obviously been doing a lot of kind of like informal home education with me, like as most teachers do with their kids. And, um, you know, she was like, I can't leave you here. Like you have this love of learning, you're excited and the school's you know not very good. And so she decided to, she was like, I'll, I'll keep you home for a year. We'll do this for one year. I'll homeschool you for a year. 
and then we'll, you know, you'll go to first grade. And uh, we didn't have any any money, so like private school wasn't an option. So it was really just homeschool or public school. And my dad was working, I don't know, two or three jobs at the time. And so uh, fast forward 16 years later, and she homeschooled me and my two younger siblings all from kindergarten through eighth grade. And then we all wow. went to various different traditional um, high schools and then traditional colleges. And so I was, I had this homeschool experience, which for me, I, I look back on as like the greatest thing that the greatest gift that anyone's given me. Like it was, um, they taught me how to think. They taught me how to, um, to, to problem solve. They taught me to have, how to have my own thoughts and not be sort of told what to think. Um, but just let me explore sort of what I actually believed about things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was huge for my own ambition and creativity. And so I've always felt like it was a bit of like a superpower that I had, you know, going into high school, going to college and then moving out to San Francisco and working on tech companies. Um, and then a few years ago we had our first kid and I started looking into education stuff in San Francisco and, um, you know, private schools in San Francisco, like a lot of big cities are really, really expensive. Um, and so it's, you know, for a lot of families, it's prohibitively expensive. And, um, I also a little bit about that. I'll stop you a little bit because I'm curious yeah. about, um, a lot of the audience is like tech in the tech sphere. Right. And so yeah. The, the the things that I hear, I don't I live in the Midwest, not in, in San Francisco, but what you hear is you have these like super elite um, private schools and then even some like where they might hire a teacher and there's like a small like micro school almost you might call it. it yeah. Did you see that happening? Was that part of like you're kind of observing the like ways that people are answering this problem of of where to send your kids for school or? I didn't really see that. I mean, what, what we were really looking at was like in San Francisco, public school is a lottery. So mm-hmm. like a lot of major cities, so there's no, you don't know where your kid's going to be geographically. Mm-hmm. And then the private schools are super expensive. And so I, I started looking for solutions like you're talking about. And what I assumed was that someone had just built like the homeschooling platform and I could just log on and pay like some amount of monthly fees and I would get hooked up with like a local group. I would get curriculum. I would get a coach. I would get all the compliance stuff taken care of and I could pay them like 200 bucks a month and it would just all be taken care of. And I literally was like, oh, surely this exists. Like (laughs) my mom solved all these problems, you know, 20 whatever years ago. Like surely someone has, you know, productized all this. And everything I found, as you know, and as anyone who has looked into homeschooling knows, looks like it was designed in like 1995. It's like incredibly hard to find accurate information. Even just figuring out what you have to do to start homeschooling on day one in your state is like hours and hours and hours of work. And you find contradicting information. And it's like a random blog post that you like hope the author researched well. And like otherwise, like the, you know, it could be catastrophic if you did it wrong. And so I was just kind of blown away at how broken the whole ecosystem is. And I started researching the homeschooling market and was like, okay, there's 2.4 million homeschoolers in the U.S. It's growing pretty regularly year over year. I would argue it's a, uh, you know, a, a really positive thing for kids mm. to have these experiences and a really positive thing for families to, be able to have these experiences. One of the myths about homeschooling is that it's this sort of like homogeneous group of like conservative Christians that all homeschool. But there's all sorts of data on now about 86 percent of homeschoolers. The primary reason for homeschooling has nothing to do with ideological worldview or political beliefs. It has to do with uh, the leading reasons are things like their kids are either ahead or behind in school and they want to have a customized learning for them. Um, there's a huge amount of people that are homeschooling because they don't like the way that schools teach um, about racism or about African-American history in the U.S. And there's all the, like the breadth of reasons why people homeschool is huge. Um, and so I got really excited about the market and sort of combined, you know, anytime I see something where the outcomes are really good and the the way to get those outcomes is really broken, that's when my mind starts to kind of, you know, think about, okay, what could you do here? Um, and yeah, that's when I started to get really excited and, um, you know, started exploring the space, spent a couple of years exploring it. And, you know, here we are. Yeah. 
tell me tell me a little bit about um, your your um, experience like when you came out of being homeschooled into like a, a public school setting and and like the the stark contrast that you saw and then maybe even further down the line that you saw the the positives that you carried with you are the skills that you that you had because I'm really interested in that because I think what what, what is so interesting I think about homeschooling in general but then also about what you guys are doing with primer is like this this kind of like self um, regulated self motivated mm. um, chasing your curiosity kind of like guided play and yep. that's really interesting because that's that's how you that's like the real world right that's how you yep. are successful in anything and did you see a stark contrast in that how you approach things you know when you when you got into like high school and then in, into the, the workforce and then um tell me a little bit about that that whole like yeah. journey um in your life so the thing one of the things that i think my parents gave me was the ability to really go deep on things that i was excited about and passionate about and so if i was excited about something i think in a traditional school environment if you got excited about something you were learning the depth with which there would be room for you to explore that is very, very shallow. So maybe there's one extra book you could read or there's, you know, like a you could talk to your teacher after class for 10 minutes about it. But there's really not that much room because you have a class of 30 students for you to go you know, any deeper than that. And my parents were really good about like I, really early on. I was interested in like starting companies and I was interested in finding ways to make money and selling things. And so they were hugely supportive of this. And like, I mean, I probably spent thousands of hours between the age of 12 and 18 in various businessy type. I mean, they were like businesses, but just finding ways to make money, buying iPods off of Craigslist and flipping them for more money or mowing lawns or starting a pressure washing company or whatever the things were. And they were just so supportive of it and helped me understand, okay, how does accounting work? How does like profit work? And that was like part of my education. They, they didn't view that as like separate from, you know, oh, Ryan, Ryan, like, you know, uh, sells, uh, you know, has a lemonade stand. And that's like the thing he does after school. It's like, no, we're going to figure out how to like help his lemonade stand be part of his education. And so I think that that to me was the big unlock was this ability to learn at a really young age how to go deep on things you're really excited about. And the skill of actually like, going deep is actually a skill. I don't think it's I think it's something you actually have to hone over time. And so the ability to really take something I was excited about and like look at it from every angle, learn how to do it well, learn what does good look like for this thing. If you're running a lemonade stand, what does like a good, a well-run lemonade stand look like to use a very trivial example. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to take that, I think, into high school, to college, to my professional sort of life. And it gave me, uh, I think, both a certain like hunger and ambition, but then also the ability to try to become world class at things that I think there's there was some seeds that were planted really early for me uh, that I think were part of part of the homeschooling experience that allowed me to get that. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I think that's that's like one of the number one um, reasons I think homeschooling is, is so valuable is kind of the custom tailored approach, because then it drives the intrinsic motivation, you know, and yep, totally I have a strong belief and I, I, I'm interested to hear what your, your views are on this, but like. It, it seems to me like, so we homeschool our four kids, their ages, you know, our oldest is nine, but, um, and it seems to me that the love of learning gets beaten out of you pretty early in like a traditional schooling environment. Yeah. And you can't recoup that later, but you can always learn facts and figures later. Right. Yeah. It, it's like hard to recoup that. And like, I don't know. So go, going to like primer and what you guys are doing now, I'd be interested to hear like how, how have you looked at like the science of that or the, you know, the, 
maybe the the successes and failures of the current system and how you're trying to answer that yeah. with primer you know maybe you can answer that but it to me it's like super fascinating to see that how early kids like hate school like it's sad yeah. it's fascinating but it's sad right yeah and it's like such an injustice i feel like <laughs> yeah <laughs> just but like yeah I don't, I don't know where i was going with that but i'd no, no, love yeah, to hear how you guys point. have thought about that yeah, so um, I'll share a couple thoughts. So the first is I think um, the, the structurally the current education system I think um, really hamstrings teachers who I, I think by and large most teachers are are actually like heroes. Like they're yeah. they're working extremely hard to try to sort of like they're they're like altruistically motivated or like intrinsically motivated to create these great outcomes for students, but they're stuck in a system where the incentive structure is totally wrong. And I'm a big believer in like. You know, it's like, show me the incentives and I'll show you the behavior. Like we incentivize teachers. If you're a teacher and you're looking at a class of 30 students, you, uh, you know, if, if every, if every student in your class, let's say 50% of your students in your class, um, are like wildly overachieving. They're like, they're like multiple grades ahead. They're all like obsessed with learning. They're like, it's like the dream outcome. You might be eligible for a $500 bonus or a $2,000 bonus, or you might get an award at the last, you know, the, the school year award ceremony, or maybe you get like a, you know, a certificate or you get, maybe you, you get up on a different track or whatever. Yeah. The, 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 the point is like, it's these tiny little incentives versus if 50% of your class is below grade level and reading or 20% of your class is failing, you can be fired. Yeah. And so it's asymmetric downside for teachers. You're, you are, you're, stuck in a system that actually is pushing you to optimize for avoiding failure versus actually pushing kids towards success and helping unlock sort of these, these asymmetric, uh, in the other direction, asymmetric upside, um, you know, for, for, for students. And I think homeschooling in some way actually flips that where as a parent, I actually, I'm like, I'm obsessed with helping my kid, like anything that they're, they're learning. I, I want them to sort of take the trajectory that helps them move as quickly as possible and be excited about it and whatever I can unlock for them. I'm not really like in a downside mitigating sort of like framework for my kids. Yeah. And so that's one piece that I think is really important is the incentive structures are broken. And then the other is like, you know, you're trying to educate 50, 60, 70 million kids a year. It's like, if you had to design a system to do that, I mean, no one, I, I think it's like almost impossible to be successful at that. And so I, I don't, I don't blame teachers in any way. I just think the system is is kind of broken and i think we need models like homeschooling and charter schools and other school choice to help lighten the load on the public school system and so i think specifically to get to uh to, to sort of homeschooling and the, that whole we, we call it a primer like unlocking kids it's like when you have that moment where you you discover that you are excited about this thing you're enjoying learning about it and you actually have a path to like learning more about it and so maybe it's like you know you get really excited about the american revolution and you just start learning a ton about the founding fathers that was like what it was for me so I, I remember this feeling where i got like obsessed with the founding fathers and i could i just discovered that i could go like buy books read the books learn more about them watch movies about them and i could i could understand that in a deeper way than i did before and so for us a lot of what we think about is how can we help kids achieve that like unlocking moment but achieve it within community of other kids and i think that's the big piece where if you're surrounded by kids who are excited by the same things you're excited about also share your interests are ambitious are creative i think there's a chance for something really magical to happen where you have a bunch of kids that sort of are they're learning that mode is kind of unlocked for them together and we're starting to see that now with primer with these clubs that we let kids you know kids join and they can do projects together and share updates and get feedback and um you know kind of like you know like show off their work and we're starting to see these dynamics happen and i think that's where it gets really really powerful and i think that's like education and school at its best yeah and i mean that that, that i think that's awesome and i think that's that's another example of 
it's teaching you a behavior that's that is um, later in life you're going to use, which is like surrounding yourself by people that are going to push you. They're going to motivate you. They're also interested in things you're going to do that you're doing so that they're you have this collective you know net effect that's higher than totally. just doing it with one or two other people. Um, but you don't get that you know in traditional education. Totally. At least it's hard to. I guess I should. I also I don't want to dog like the traditional system because I think like you said there's there's inherent things that have led to. Um, the lacking that it has, which is the negative incentive structures, but um, yeah, it's just it's just a complicated system. <laughs> so, so tell yep. me, give us the overview a little bit of what Primer is, and um, you know what your vision is for it. Yeah, so our um, the the way to like describe it in three words is we help people homeschool superpowers. That's like our whole thing, um, as we want to give parents superpowers for homeschooling, and um, the way we're doing that right now is we have a series of um, basically interest based clubs that kids can join. Uh, so we have four that are live right now in beta. Um, there's one that's inventors, which is like building rockets and bridges and catapults. Um, there's one that's about nature. So like exploring the natural world, sharing, you know, things that you're researching or learning about that. There's storytellers, which is learning how to tell stories through uh, written word, through video, through photos. Um, and then there's game makers, which is basically kids learning to make their own video games. And we're teaching them to code. Uh, you know, while they're making video games without them kind of realizing that they're learning to code. Um, and so kids can join these communities and then there's a library of projects that they can tackle with alongside other kids. And so they can do, uh, you know, making a rocket in your backyard or making a bridge out of, you know, different materials or building your first video game in scratch or whatever it might be. And then they can share updates alongside other kids, ask questions, get feedback. And then there's moderators who are experts in these various subjects who can help them if they get stuck or answer questions. And then there's weekly showcases where they can show off their work for other kids and get feedback and sort of, um, you know, like sort of get that, that feeling of like getting, getting real interaction with other kids around this, this work that they're really passionate about. And so that's the kids side right now. Um, and then on the parent side, um, we have basically you have a dashboard where you can sort of plan out your homeschooling, uh, you know, world. So you have your kids, you have the subjects you're teaching, uh, you have the curriculum that you're going to use. And then we're building out essentially ways. This is all in beta right now, but we're building out, um, you know, ways for you to actually start assigning things to your kids. So if you want them to do spend a few hours on primer and then do this mystery science lesson or this beast Academy lesson or these Khan Academy lesson, be able to start connect that in and yeah. be kind of a, a hub for homeschooling. Um, um, and the last thing we help you with is all the local compliance stuff. So every state's regulations is totally different, especially if you're just getting started homeschooling. And so we had we have a legal team that put together the most comprehensive, uh, you know, data set on what to do uh, to legally homeschool compliantly in any state. And so based on where you are, we give you basically the playbook of here's everything you need to do. Here's the dates you need to send it in. Here's where you get the forms. Here's where you send the stuff. Um, and over time, we're going to actually start to do all that for you um, and automate it all. And then we'll have really cool curriculum recommendations based on what everyone else on primer is doing like it's all going to get a lot bigger than this but this is kind of the initial version that we're pushing out uh for august that's awesome so you're you're right now you're in beta you said with a small group yep. of, of beta users and then you're going to be launching like publicly in august or just opening up more and more beta users is that your approach so we have about 100 families that are in beta right now and, and then we have um over 11,000 families on the wait list and so we're going to start rolling out invites in August for public users, not non-beta. 
our goal is to get everyone off the waitlist as fast as possible. So dream scenario is like we get everyone off the ba- the the waitlist by end of August, early September. That's going to be TBD on obviously taking a product and inviting 11,000 families. You know, a lot of things can change. So because uh, each of those families have two, three, four, five, six kids. So it's, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 kids. Um, so there's, a, you know, a lot that we'll have to sort of, you know, we're going to do it in batches and sort of learn and watch. But we, we want it to be an exceptional experience for kids. Obviously, this is like, you know, your education. This is one of the most important things in someone's life. And so we're we're sort of uncompromising on the quality. And so ultimately, even though it'll probably be frustrating, we will, you know, invite people more slowly if we need to to ensure that the quality bar is extremely high which over the long term i think is the right decision so um that's how we're approaching this fall yeah how, how are you approaching like the or what, what has been the there's probably been a mental shift in people pre-covid and post-covid about their their attitudes um or desires towards homeschooling right and yep. I, we, we've spoken a lot about the benefits towards the children like the kids and the different, you know, the shortcomings of the current system. How have you thought about the short, you know, the the maybe lacking or the perception of the the parents that they have? They're like, yeah, it seems like a good idea, Ryan. Yeah, you've kind of sold me on the benefits of my kid, but like, I don't feel adequate. I don't like. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I don't know how to like, you know, connect with a community of people that are like wanting to do this and how do I share like my hopes, fears and dreams around this? Um, or is that not even an yep. issue? Like, is that, has that been a concern of yeah. parents or? Yeah, I think a lot of parents are asking that question. And I do think, I mean, I am, I am not by any means, do I believe that every family should homeschool? Like, I do think it is a very specific, you know, it's a type specific types of kids are going to do, do better in this environment. I think specific types of parents are going to, you know, feel more equipped to, to succeed in homeschooling. And there's also a lot of realities around if you're a single parent, um, or if you're a family that has a dual income household and both, both parents need to work, there's all sorts of, um, you know, reasons why homeschooling could be really challenging. And down the line in a year or two, we're going to launch some things that will actually make that all like much easier, even for parents where both families need to work, have ways for their kids to get a homeschooling like experience, um, which I'm really excited about in terms of democratizing access further. But I do think, uh, you know, for parents who do feel like, hey, I think this would be really great for my kid if I could figure out some way to do it. Um, that's really the place that we want to we want to play in. And so we're going to roll out coaching for for parents so that we, we pair you up with a coach who can work with you to help you become a better homeschool parent, like answer questions, give you even just give you confidence that like you're you know, you're you're approaching things the right way, help be sort of a feedback loop on, hey, my kid's struggling with this. What should I try? Talk to them next week. You know, hey, OK, I tried that. This to work. This didn't. Those kind of things, I think, can just be super helpful. And so that's the role that I want Primer to play sort of over the medium term. It'll take us a little while to roll all that out, obviously. Um, but yeah, that, I think that there is right now, um, there is a real sense that every homeschool parent is reinventing the wheel. And if you look at any homeschool Facebook group, I remember when, very early on in this process of exploring Primer uh, over a year ago, um, I texted my mom some screenshots of a homeschooling Facebook group that I joined. And I was like, hey, these are the questions that people are asking aren't these the exact same questions that you were asking 27 years ago or 28 years ago? And she's like, yeah, nothing's changed. Everyone is still doing the, like reinventing the wheel, going through the exact same process, trying to get started because no one has made it easier. And so the way I look at it is you have 300, 400, 500,000 people, you know, every couple of years going through the same cycle. That's the role that primer can play is make that all a lot easier. And that's what we want to solve. Yeah. I mean, in a way that's like you, they're reinventing the wheel, but at the same time, it's like they, that's a never ending question, right? Of like, how, how do I do this? And then how do I equip my, my kids for this like new reality or new, you know, market? Sure. Like, 
I think the thing that's interesting with primer is like you're that's part of a greater like shift that's happening in like secondary education, primary education, like the whole education system is being disrupted now with like colleges being forced to go online. And then, you know, people are questioning, well, is this uh, is this worth paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars just to take, you know, to sit in front of a computer type of thing? It, it, how do you see that this playing out over the next like, you know, five to 10 years? Because I think it's going to be super interesting. Um my perception is kind of like we, we kind of went through this phase of like, you know, all these colleges like building up, building up and they're, they're, they're providing not the proper value for what they need to in the marketplace, like not preparing students enough, but yep. then the prices just went up and then now it's kind of like coming crashing down and, and the whole system I think will look different in like five, five years even, you know, I assume. And I don't know, yeah. I'd be, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts on that or how you're thinking about that and where does primer fit in that? Yeah. So I'm not by no means my expert on um, the higher education sort of world. I think my my two cents on it, uh, mm-hmm. pun intended, would be uh, that I think I think the higher education degrees in general. So I, by the way, I'm biased. I dropped out of college. Um, but I think higher education degrees in general have been a mispriced asset and the benefits have been opaque for a long time. And I think that in a world where, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago where there was no way to build a brand online. There was really no way to, uh, you know, show your, show your work product of what you've done. There was no way to build an audience. None of these things were possible. I think that, you know, it all made a lot of sense. And I think in this new reality, I think what you're seeing is that the, the supply side is not changing. There's just as many colleges trying to give out just as many degrees every year. Um, but the demand side is changing because people are realizing that the product is mispriced and relative to the value it gives you, you know, it's, it's two, three, four five, ten 10 times, you know, too expensive. And so I think what you're starting to see is that correction. Um, I think the other, the other interesting sort of structural thing is that I think for the last hundred, whatever years of modern education, um, effectively the, the goalpost of K through 12 education was getting into college. And then the goalpost of college was getting a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was basically how everyone thought about defining success in both of those, uh, you know, for the first 12 years of education and the, the last four years of education. And I think what, what, um, people are starting to feel is that those are the wrong goalposts. And what I would offer is that the, you know, the, the defining, the way to define a successful education from a K through 12 or even, you know, all the way through higher ed is not about getting a job or getting into college. It's about helping someone reach their potential and do what they want to do with their life. Mm-hmm. And for some kids, that's going to be going to Harvard. And for other kids, that's going to be going to community college. But for other kids, that's going to be getting access to a biology lab to do, you know, microbiology research at age 14 in Birmingham, Alabama, for some girl that would never get access to that otherwise, because primer can get that for her. And she can go start doing research at 14 and sort of skip a lot of this stuff. And those are the kind of experiences that we want to unlock. And for someone else, it might be learning how to run a small business at age 17 or 18 because they want to start a small business in Chattanooga and that's their that's their dream and they don't need to go to college and they don't they don't want to go to college and they don't want to you know be some polymath you know Silicon Valley whiz kid and so part of my dream for primer is um, to define successful education not as getting jobs or getting into college like we will never track how many kids you know go through primer and got into Harvard I, I don't care about that if kids want to get into Harvard or if it's the best thing for them we're going to help them get into Harvard but that's not success to me um, and so, you know, what I think about is a lot more of on an individual level of what are, what is each kid's potential and how can primer architect, you know, sort of create the scaffolding for them to have an education experience that gives them the best shot of reaching that. Yeah, I strongly believe with that. But 
how do you, that's a paradigm shift, I assume, for a lot of even parents. Like the, the parents grew up with those goalposts in mind. The, totally. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the goalposts after, you know, graduate high school, then get into college, then, then get a job, then yep. get, you know, get out of the house. You know, like there's these like yep. goalposts. And so I think instinctively, you know, there's a better way or that's not, you know, the, that's because certain students are, are okay, like going down that path and some just don't fit that mold. Right. And so they know there's a better way, but how do you sell them on primer on homeschool? If they're, if their kid's a good fit, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, totally. if you're not going to say this, how many kids got into, if there's not a metric that is already implanted in their mind, what's the metric, you know, what's, is it, is it individual stories to say, this is kind of, this is, this was my journey or, um, how do you, how do you sell that? I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so we're doing two things right now. So one is we're telling the stories of homeschooling alumni, mm-hmm. um, which hasn't really been done before. And I think one of the interesting things about, if you think about the academic institutions that we all sort of hold in very high regard, whether it's Harvard or Yale or Stanford or whatever, um, certainly it's not the only thing they have going for them. But I would argue the primary driver of that brand is the alumni, because we associate this flywheel of people go to Stanford, the people that go to Stanford go on to achieve great things. People go to Harvard, they go on to become president. We sort of have that you know, flywheel in our heads. And it's because if you go to Harvard, you tell everyone you went to Harvard. And that's just kind of how it works. And I think that that doesn't really happen with homeschooling right now. And so you have all these people who are homeschooled that went on to achieve unbelievable things because homeschooling is, you know, a little bit taboo or people don't like talking about it or whatever. No one said no one talks about how they were homeschooled. And so part of what we want to do you know, over the long term is sort of rebrand homeschooling into this thing that's almost aspirational. And you have kids that are like, can I please be homeschooled? I really want to be on primer. I really want to, you know, this is the life that I want for me and myself and my education. Um, so I think that's one part of it. And then I think the other part of it is, is trying to help parents see beyond just the current infrastructure and sort of the current goalposts. And we're, we're not, we're not going to totally remove ourselves from the system. Like I'm not, you know, by no means am I saying that like we, like I want to have the best, if you're homeschooling, I want primer to be the best. If your kid wants to get into Harvard, I want them to be the best way for you to get into Harvard. I want to have the the most incredible college prep process where we put together a portfolio and we put together the, you know, hook you up with intros to people that can help. Like the the point is not to be anti higher ed. The point is to be pro each student's individual path of where they need to go. And so it's not so much that we will be, you know, anti anything so much as we will try to help parents see, okay, let's actually put together what the best path best path is for this kid and not just sort of assume that whatever the sort of like, you know, accepted norms are is what, you know, every little kid should do. And that's part of, for me, like the, the, the pushback on private school is like, you know, even if we, we did want to spend that much money on, on private school, the the fact that my kids would basically be, I mean, the best private schools in San Francisco are effectively judge themselves on how many kids get into Stanford and other Ivy league schools. And that's not the goalpost that I want for my kids. That's not, that's not what I want them to be optimizing 12 years of their life for. And I think that's the, that, that to me is sort of the, the crucial difference between the elite private schools. And I think what something like homeschooling, um, you know, can offer. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I think it's great what you guys are doing and I'm excited to see where it goes. Cause I think it's, it's a, a, a upheaval of a, a system that has been needs to be dragged into the 21st century. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. I mean, you kind of totally. said it, you started that off by saying that saying, surely someone would have built this. Um, what, why, like, why do you think someone hasn't built something like primer? I mean, you have things like Khan Academy or some of these other things that have popped up, which are like more one-off resources, but why, why has, has no one thought about it? I mean, why, why not? Yeah. 
Um, I, so I, I asked my question, myself that question a lot when I was thinking about doing this because it seemed like such an obvious idea. Um, I was talking to Keith Raboy, who's our one of our lead investors, and he his thesis was because he's been trying to find someone to build this for a long time. His thesis was that um, you really need to be homeschooled yourself to build this company, um, both to understand the nuances, but then also to be respected by the community because people people that are homeschooled probably wouldn't trust you know a product that was sort of seemed a little bit too opportunistic if it was built by someone who wasn't homeschooled. And his thesis was, you know, homeschooling was effectively illegal or perceived to be illegal until the late 80s, early 90s. And so you actually haven't had that many homeschool kids that are old enough to start companies um, that would understand this problem. And the prototypical founders that go to, you know, Stanford or Harvard or MIT or whatever aren't necessarily the types of people that would be thinking about these problems or stumble across these problems. And then you also probably need to have kids. And so the the Venn diagram of people who were homeschooled, who have kids, who are the type of people that would start companies is pretty small. And I think I buy that that's, that's probably the reason. I also think it's just extremely hard. You're, you're building a product. A lot of people ask us, like, what's the hardest part about Primer? Is it like figuring out the curriculum or interactions with the kids? And not, it's actually none of that. The hardest part about Primer is that we are building, you know, homeschoolers by definition are sort of opting out of the system and opting for a very autonomous, high agency approach to education. And so we are we are building a system for people who are opting out of the system, yeah. which is just by definition, extremely, extremely difficult. And so to architect this correctly, you really have to approach it like building scaffolding, not like building a building. Mm-hmm. And so we're really trying to create a ton of white space, both for parents and students, so that parents can still have a ton of control over the learning experiences of their kids. But primary is sort of the scaffolding that helps them build the education that they want. So we're trying trying to not be very prescriptive about which curriculum you use or you need to use this math you know, or you need to have this approach to uh, play or any of those things. We're trying to be the scaffolding that can say, hey, whatever your approach is to homeschooling, Primer is going to give you superpowers and help you be way better at it. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I think I think you're spot on with that with the, the hypothesis or the thesis around, you know, why it hasn't been done before. And I would say as a homeschooler myself, I think there's a natural aversion to a centralized approach, you know, like a system if you will, totally, uh, because you because it's, it's it's antithetical to the reason why you're homeschooling, which is we want a customized totally. approach for each child because their learning styles are different and their pace is different yep. and all that. So yeah, I think I think you guys are onto something really really awesome, and I think I hope you guys narrow in on that scaffolding approach, not the because when I first heard about it, I think I, I, or I don't know if you were talking about it or you were tweeting about it, and I was like my 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 skeptical side said kind of, and I didn't know you were homeschooled. I think prior to us talking. So it was like, sure was like Silicon Valley is going to screw this up because they're going to try to like totally. scale it like, like they do every other startup, right? We're just going to like, yeah. we're going to, we're going to try to scale it and we're going to sell the data or something, whatever. It's like, but I'm, I'm unique in the sense that I feel like I have a little bit of a pulse on the tech space and I was homeschooled. So it's kind of like, that's, that's not a normal Venn diagram either, you know? Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but it doesn't seem like you guys are doing that. So I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, we're, we're trying to take a really thoughtful approach and I think we're, we're trying to build something that is kind of the opposite of really prescriptive, which is, you know, I think what most homeschool parents want. So I want to ask you um, before we wrap up here is that um, you're, you're probably focusing on the U.S. market, at least initially, and probably have, uh, you know, uh, plans to go international. But h- how does the U.S. market compare to the international market in terms of like how they approach schooling? So like we I do business in India. And so I know their their system is much more like rote, like memorization, like huge, strict, like paths into like higher education and all that. Um, yeah. So what have you seen? Have you guys done any, 
you know, research or, you know, tests into the international market? Well, yeah, we have a ton of demand, lots of requests from India, lots of requests from Europe. Um, in India is actually the second highest homeschool market in the world, Low, lower per capita than the U.S., but basically the same actually on number of homeschoolers. Um, and so, yeah, there's I think they're, they're, the interesting thing about I think a lot of countries beside outside of the U.S. is that they actually value education much higher than we do. Um, I think the the. Uh, if you look at you can slice it all sorts of ways, but you can look at it like the percentage of income spent on education, for example, in, in countries like China or India um, is much higher than almost every state in the U.S. Um, and part of it is that like we have a public school system that, you know, most people feel like is like reasonably adequate. Um, but I also think there's sort of a difference uh, in viewing education as an investment um, in, in other countries. Then it's like in a little bit different way that we do in the U.S. And that's one of the things that I think often homeschool parents really understand and make a conscious decision for. Like my mom viewed her deciding to stay home and my dad working multiple jobs so that she could stay home, they viewed that as an investment. They viewed that as an investment of time, an investment of money, an investment of resources. And I think that is the correct way to think about it. And so, um, yeah, we've definitely seen a lot of demand and I think we we will definitely figure out the international side of it. There's a lot of countries that are really strict on homeschooling. So a lot of countries in the EU basically either ban or make it extremely difficult to homeschool. Um, but India is an obvious one where I think like we, we get emails almost every day from people that are like, hey, when are, you know, when are you coming to India? Is there any plans for internationalization? supporting other languages, et cetera. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely get there at some point, but right now we're, we're very focused on the U S and anyone can use it. That's not in the U S if they, you know, are, are okay using an English speaking, uh, everything will be in English right now, but, um, over time we'll obviously, obviously solve those problems. Yeah. Do you see any, um, any, uh, issues with, you know, um, legal issues with homeschooling even in the U S or like, I know that varies state to state, like here in Michigan, there's no, there, it's very loose in terms of things that you're required to do, but do you see that changing for the worse at all for homeschooling? Um, or is it seem to only getting it better with all this COVID stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think this year it's kind of like all bets are off. I mean, I, I think there's been uh, like, I don't know what's going to be enforced this year. Um, I think in general, the, like it, it, the, we would benefit from just having more standardized regulations. I mean, the state to state stuff is just wild. Um, there's, you know, there's states that where literally you basically have to do nothing. You don't even have to give notice. And then there's states where you are required to teach certain subjects. Your kids have to pass tests every year. You have to submit portfolios for review. Um, and I think largely it, it, it's you could basically split it into there's a subset of states who basically believe parents have the ultimate right to do whatever they want with their kids and their education is in their hands. And then you have other states that effectively say, hey, like, you know, parents, uh, education is compulsory and, and kids need to show up in school. And if they're not showing up in school, then we need to ensure they're still getting a good education. And it's the state's job to um, to ensure that's happening. And there's, you know, good arguments for you know either side of that. But I think that um, there's I think there's uh, right now it's just way too confusing. Like if you move, you, you like your entire homeschooling setup could have to change just because you cross the state line. And so I think, I mean, I would like to see probably more standardization there and less state to state stuff, but it's honestly fine for us because that's part of our, the value that we provide is sort of demystifying all that. And so I'm not super concerned about it from a you know business perspective. It's more about, um, you know, just like feeling bad for all the parents trying to figure out how to navigate this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one last thing I want to hit on is, yeah. um, the common objection to homeschoolers or homeschooling your kids is that they won't get socialized, Ryan. How are that? Yeah. What, how about the kids getting socialized? I mean, obviously they're going to be like weirdos. So debunk that for us here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, th I, I always find that so funny because I, I, I do think there is a, there, there are a subset of homeschoolers that you talk to people who are homeschooled who do feel like there are gaps in their, in their, you know, sort of development as, as a human. Um, 
I think that's that stigma is largely uh, based in, uh, you know, hyper conservative parents uh, that were that were homeschooling or on the other side, um, hyper sort of liberal parents who were homeschooling uh, for very, very strict ideological reasons. And I would argue that even if the kids went to a traditional school, they still would have had probably variety of challenges from a developmental perspective because they lived with parents who, you know, had very, very extreme viewpoints um, on either side. And so I think that's largely sort of a false stigma that that existed from the early aughts of homeschooling. Um, but I do think what's interesting is that um, even if you believe that homeschooling had negative socialization consequences, I think the idea that public school is somehow the ideal socialization um, sort of environment for kids is also kind of funny. Like, even if you believe that homeschooling created a set of negative experiences from a socialization, which I, I sort of reject that premise, I would also argue that the, the downsides of, you know, being in public school and doing active shooter drills and being bullied and all these other things have all sorts of other negative developmental consequences. And so I think, uh, you know, that is largely, uh, you know, sort of a, a bit of a straw man argument that's thrown up against homeschooling. And the other thing is like most homeschool parents, their kids are extremely involved in sports or music or church or extracurricular activities or whatever the thing is. And so you're getting tons of interaction, other families, you do co-ops, like you're getting tons of interaction with other kids. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think for most families, that's not even on their radar because they, they are, kids are getting so much socialization as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I fully agree with that. And I think it's just, it's interesting. It's like, just, it blows my mind when people bring that up. It's like, <laughs> that's like totally. I have no idea. <laughs> totally. But, totally. But it, totally. Is, it is a very fringe like subset of homeschoolers that, that kind of create that bad rap, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, the interesting to me with that though, is that it, it's almost like there's a, there's a socialization and there's a re-socialization with like a, with a traditional, with like a public school. And again, I don't want to just harp like negatives on, on public school, but it's like, when you go to public school, it's like you are you are socialized for this environment that's like a unique environment that's not real life that that doesn't match mm-hmm. the skills and the things that you need to be successful post you know even edu- higher education right and and yep. that's baked into a lot of stuff that you're doing with primer but so it's like you're almost like leapfrogging that you know it's like yep. which is the interesting thing to me like we even with our kids like we were involved in a co-op but we also just involve them in things that you have to do day to day, going to the bank. I mean, going to the like grocery store and like in making them like, you know, figure out how much things cost and all this stuff. Like it, totally. you're, you're using life skills, you know, like <laughs> instead yeah. of these false skills to succeed in this public school environment, you know, just yeah. fascinating. So, yeah, I remember my mom would talk about how like she would take us to the grocery store when we were like, I don't know, six, four and two. And people would make comments about, uh, you know, about how like we should be in school or something. And when we were six, four and two, we could effectively navigate the entire grocery store ourselves and t- take care of an entire shopping trip and know how much things would cost and budget it out. And like, like we, we like to kind of like, know we knew how to talk to people, like whatever. And I, I think she, she this, I don't know an exact anecdote, but it was something where she always found it funny that like people would comment on that when like her kids were like interacting with adults as if it was like totally normal. And like they you know, far surpassed whatever the age, you know, sort of like norms would be for that. And the yeah. adults wouldn't even realize that they were interacting with a six year old that was like, you know, totally like felt totally comfortable in a grocery store, like doing a variety of things, but they had that sort of audacity to call it like, Oh, shouldn't you be in school right now? Um, so I always, she always thought that was funny. And I think that is like, that's sort of, you know, a good, good, uh, you know, sort of anecdote to highlight what you're talking about. Yeah. 
it made me think of, I had Nathan Berry on, on the podcast, the founder of ConvertKit. For those of you that don't know, but <laughs> I know he's a friend of yours and you're advising yeah. ConvertKit. And he, he was telling a story about, I think he was homeschooled for a few years or, or something, but they were at the store and he was like six. And he said he went over to like ask how much something was, or like on a sale or something. He asked a clerk and the guy got down. He's like, oh, hello there, little boy. What do you want? And he comes back to his mom. He's like, I don't know what's wrong with that guy, but he's like, he's a weirdo. <laughs> it's like, cause totally. he, was, he was talking to him like, like. You would a six year old, but it's like right, he exactly. was so accustomed to just interacting with with adults like normal. <laughs> I was like, yeah. and being that, treated like a normal human. Yeah, it's like that's interesting. You know, it's like, hmm. So it was funny totally. to tell that story. I was just cracking up. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, Ryan, you can be found at withprimer.com, right? That that's that's where yep. it's at. Okay, and then at Delk on Twitter. Um, yeah. And feel free if I can ever be helpful to anyone that's listening. My email address is Ryan at withprimer.com. I answer every cold email, whatever I can help with, uh, you know, feel free to reach out homeschooling or not homeschooling related. Always happy to help. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the two cent dad podcast. Um, I'm your host, Mike Sudik. You can always email me with suggestions for the show, uh, suggestions for guests or, or critical feedback, Mike at two cent dad.com. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, taking the proactive approach to bettering yourself as a father. That's exactly what Two Cent Dad is all about. Would love to hear from you. Would love for you to sign up for our email list so you get notified when new episodes come out or other resources um, ship. Thank you for listening.